Hello, and welcome to the Casual Author Podcast. I'm Dan, host and independent author of sci-fi and fantasy books, father of five, full-time worker, homesteader, and a man of many other responsibilities. I'm here to talk to you about what it's like to be an author, how we can prioritize and be productive, and how we can be encouraged to know that despite our busyness, we can still make the best of our authoring. To learn more about me, my books, or access the podcast show notes, head to dankenner.com slash podcast. Let's get started. Hey there, it's Dan Kenner with another episode of The Casual Author. Today is Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023, as I record this, and this is episode number 75 of the podcast. It's an amazing milestone. Can't believe we're already here. Today, we're talking to Tom Thomas L. Rose about his unexpected journey into authoring and his most recently released book, Balloon in a Box, Coping with Grief. Here, we talk about how he unexpectedly fell into writing um, when he start, decided to tell his journey about grieving the loss of his wife. We talk a lot about grief. We talk a lot about processing that and about his experience, his enhanced life experience from becoming an author and creating a community based around the content of his book. So I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. Uh, Tom is a, a just a joy to talk to. I absolutely loved hearing his insight. He is a man with many years of experience, so definitely do not want to miss out on that conversation. So in terms of news uh, this week, I feel like everything happened so fast that I, I have so much I have to think about it to make sure that I grab it all. But first and foremost, our goats are have started their labors and kidding. So our first goat had her kids last week, and it was kind of an unexpected experience. Uh, she, we've, we've done this for a number of years now, and this is her first time having babies. Normally, when a goat has babies for the first time, they usually have one, occasionally two. She had three which we were just not expecting. On top of that, she had the kids so quietly that we didn't hear it, which is generally fine when the goat has experience with birthing. Like a first-time mother, a human mother, um, it's it's a new experience. And so they don't necessarily know what's going on. They may have done some research, but you have to kind of experience to know. Same with goats. So she had the babies, but she didn't know her instincts didn't kick in. So unfortunately, one of the babies did pass away, which is very unfortunate. We were very sad. I didn't make it out there in time. We did manage to, I managed to clean off the other two, you know, clear out their mouths so that they could start breathing. Um, one of them was doing pretty fine. I believe he was the last one out because he was kind of up and walking around. The The second one that we managed to get was tiny, very like tiny, probably the tiniest goat kid I've ever seen. And she was just laying there. She wasn't moving. So we actually had to revive her. <laughs> For the past three days, we have been bottle feeding her, exercising her limbs, kind of like physical therapy for goat. And she's actually up and about now. She's walking around, um, but it was a little bit of a long road. She just laid there for most days. We had her in a little laundry basket in our house, and I honestly wasn't sure if she was going to make it. But she did. She seems pretty happy outside. We put her back out with the goats. Unfortunately, when you separate them like that, mom doesn't know who she is anymore because the scent has changed. She was in her house. Um, she's still drinking her mom's milk. We're, we're milking her mom and then giving it to her in bottles. But the scent has changed enough that her mom doesn't, she's not rejecting her per se. She's just not caring for her. So we're going to continue to body, bottle feed her and hopefully she grows. She's still very, very tiny. If you want to see videos about that, I've been putting posting them on YouTube. I also have them on my TikTok channel. So take a look at those. I'll probably send out some images of her. My son decided to name her Diamond. So there you go. We, we now have a, a goat that we're bottle feeding named Diamond. In any case, that's exciting. Um, sad on the, the one that passed away, but we're glad that we were able to save the other two. And we have more goats uh, set to have babies this week. So hopefully I'll have more stories of birthing and hopefully they're happier. This has been the first time we've ever lost a baby, actually. So like I said, we've done this for, I want to say three years, almost four years now. And we've never, this is the first time that we've ever lost a baby. So hopefully we continue to have a good track record and we don't have any problems with that. So that's, that's on the homestead news. There you go. Uh, additionally, we have been preparing for chickens. We started incubating um, eggs. So we've collected eggs for the past few days. We, our incubator can hold 22. So we got it all set up, 
put the eggs in there and they're incubating. So I believe it takes three weeks for those to hatch. Never done this before. Should be interesting. We intentionally bought breeds of chickens that are kind of um, dual purpose, right? So you've got egg layers, which have a pretty high production of eggs. And then you have meat chickens, which get really, really fat and juicy. Those of you who are listening, you might not love that. It's just the reality of the situation. So we got a, a hybrid breed, which they do get kind of big, not as big as meat chickens, but they, they do get big. But they and they also have a decently high egg production. Now you can't get the best of both worlds. It's kind of either one or the other. So these are middle grade chickens, um, and we've seen it. Their egg production has not been as high as some of the past layers we've had with you know the kind of slimmer, skinnier chickens. But that's okay. We're trying to hatch our own eggs so that we can learn the process and eventually grow our own meat and egg layer chickens. Kind of take care of both. Uh, historically, we've been purchasing chickens from the mail. They ship to the post office. It's kind of hilarious to get a box of chicks. Um, and we're doing that again this year because we don't know how the incubator is going to go, how successful it will be. We have two roosters um, and they're fine. They're active. <laughs> so we just need to make sure that the eggs will actually hatch. So that's another fun thing that's a little bit new. And the weather has jumped up in temperature, which we're absolutely loving. So we're building outside again. We're building chicken tractors, which is essentially like a little portable chicken coop and run. That's what we've been working on this week. Kind of fun. The point of it is so you can get your chickens out in the garden area or just out in your pasture or wherever, and they will peck it down. They will clear an area. You just put this little structure on. The ground is open. They'll just peck at everything, um, put a little fence up, and we can also let them out to graze or, you know, whatever it is, scour the ground. And it's really good for the garden and for the homestead. So that's fun. We're building two of those. Um, and that's kind of what we've been working on this week. Now, in terms of author news, uh, things are still relatively stable. Uh, I have, I'm just shy of 75,000 words on Dragon Blooded. So I do believe that I'll be able to finish that around 90,000 words. I feel relatively confident that I'm going to be with probably two or two or 3,000 variant possibly higher than 90,000 but pretty close <laughs> it's been the last last book i tried to hit um 60,000 ended up being 95,000 so i'm pretty proud of myself for hitting this target um <laughs> and then the second cyber city kids book is still kind of at the same place it was last week we haven't made a lot of progress on that my my co-author has, has had some things going on and it's no problem at all i told her i have plenty of things to write so do not even worry about me um so that, you know, they're that on that front. Um, social media is still kind of, I'm still figuring that out. My YouTube is still a, a tad bit spotty, but I would love to figure that out, make it more consistent. Um, I am being more consistent with my email list. And I have started partnering with authors with, uh, you know, sending out free book deals every week. So if you want to be a part of that, if you want to find other amazing books by other authors, definitely subscribe to my email list and you'll see those uh, those different free book deals come through each week, which is pretty awesome. Additionally, I have, <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh at myself for this one. I have kind of started another project. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and hold off on describing what this project is because I'm not sold that I'm going to be able to make it work. But in light of the recent kitten video, going crazy, I decided to dabble, you know, test my hand at something else. So the video ended up stopping finally at about 13.4 million views, which is still wild. But it is very apparent that Emma the Dilemma Cat is very popular. So I'm going to see this, this, this new project. We'll see if it goes anywhere, just dabbling in it. But I'm enjoying the process and, um, you know, finding out how to format things and whatnot to see if it's even possible. So I'll talk a little bit more about that if I end up deciding to do it. I haven't decided to quite yet. Um, I've also had an, an overwhelming number of people asking for the audiobook for the Lightbearer Chronicles. I have yet to figure that out. Um, I'm still hoping that I'm getting closer to figuring out how to produce that, whether by myself or hiring someone. So just those of you listening that are have not had the chance to read my books because you want them in audio, know that I will <laughs> get it done. I just have not had the chance. It's one of those things that's very unfortunate that I haven't done it. Um, but as a new indie author, it's not one of the things you're thinking about. And because funds are getting put in other places such as editing and cover design, it's kind of the fallout is the, the audiobook. And I know it's not just me, but it will be coming at some point. Hopefully I'll have more news on that soon. But don't hold your breath. I'll say things happen and things don't. In any case, I believe that is all the updates 
for this week. So we'll go ahead and shift over to the interview portion of the podcast. Hey, Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. How about Excellent. yourself? How so about great. yourself on Idaho? Okay. Oh, I'm loving it here. Uh, you know, <laughs> we talked to those of you listening, we talked briefly about, you know, Tom and where he's from. You're in Indiana, correct? Correct. Right. Correct. correct. Yeah. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your author career, kind of where that started, what got you writing, and how did you end up where you are today? Well, that's a big question. This you is got a very big two, question. You, Take your you time. Got, you got, got about time. two and a half hours. <laughs> uh, my wife and I uh, were on television for about 13 years. We just did a little cooking segment on a local morning show. Uh, every Wednesday, we did it for 13 years, never missed an episode. Uh, and uh, we ended up writing a couple cookbooks. So that's kind of where it started. Now, jump forward in uh, 2004, 2005. Well, 2004 was the last time we did TV thing. That's when we found out she had breast cancer. Mm. And uh, she went through treatment uh, in 2004 in a mastectomy and again in 2005 in a mastectomy. And then until 2017, she was, you know, she was good. Uh, uh, 2017, he came back in the chest while doctors told us she had four to six months. She lived about two years. Uh, I lost her in August of 2019. And after that, uh, my son and my granddaughter uh, said, hey, Grandpa, let's finish that cookbook. We're, my wife and I are working on the third cookbook. And they said, let's finish it. So we did. Uh, it's called the first two cookbooks were cooking together, uh, Oriental style Second one was Cooking Together, uh, Quick and Easy. And this one we titled Cooking Together Revisited. And uh, the proceeds from that go to a little breast cancer project we have. We uh, buy hats and scarves and stuff and give it to the ladies that are going through chemo that losing their hair. So Because I know what how much my wife appreciated having those things. So that was our first little project. Uh, <clears throat> about six, seven months after my wife died, a friend of mine from Florida, a doctor, retired, um, called me and wanted to know how I was getting along and everything. And he said, you know, Tom, he said, uh, if you write a journal, somebody told me that would help you. So I said, you know, I can do my son and I are in advertising and marketing consulting business. So I'm on the computer all the time. So I thought I'll just open up a Word file. When I got up in the morning, I typed in how I felt. When I went to bed at night, I typed in what happened. About three or four months after I started that, that he called me again, one no. And he said, send me your notes. He said, I'd be interested in reading him. I said, well, Doc, remember, they're not even sentences, words spelled right, whatever. I just typed it. He said, send it to me. So I did. About three weeks later, he called me back. And he said, I've shown this to several people. He said, you have to write a book. I said, Doc, <laughs> you, were with, you were with me in college. You know I didn't pay attention in English class. I can't write a book. He said, yes, you can. So uh, it was COVID years. I mean, it's crummy here in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I decided, what the heck, I'll, I'll, I'll just start writing just for the heck of it. Uh, and so I would write a page at night or a couple of pages, and then I I figured an author has to use big words, right? So I would go to the thesaurus, and I would find big words and replace them. And then i get up the next morning and look at it and go, what the heck does that mean? You know. <laughs> finally, after about a month of doing that, I finally sat down one night. and I had my glass of wine sitting here on my desk after dinner. It was about 8 o'clock. And I thought, okay, I'm going to type this the way I feel, the way I talk, you know, the way I say things. So I did. I started in, and I did. Don't worry about punctuation. Don't worry about spelling. Just type. And I say I started at 8 o'clock, and, and before I knew it, it was 3.30 in the morning, and I had pages of stuff. Wow. So from that, I kind of organized the book. I thought, well, you know, I started reading. I thought, oh, some of this was pretty good. Uh, I decided if I was going to do it, though, I had to be honest. I'd be honest about my feelings, not hide them. Uh, tell people I was going through grief. It's a grief journey. That's what my book's about. It's called Balloon in a Box, Coping with Grief. Uh, all the things that I read on the Internet, I would read them and I'd go, golly, this guy doesn't really understand. You know, okay, I don't care. He's got a PhD psychiatry and all these things, letters after his name, but 
he hadn't been there or he wouldn't say that or he would understand. You know, everybody wanted to say, oh, you're going to go through kind of like AA. You're going to go step one, step two, step three, step four. Well, that's not the way it happens. Grief is different for everybody. So, honestly, that's part of what I did with my book. I I said, no, I got to be really honest here. I'm not a counselor, not a psychiatrist, a psychologist. I just wrote what my journey I was going through. Um, so that's how the book happened. Uh, I thought, well, I'll print a couple other copies and I'll, uh, <clears throat> you know, give a few away and sell a few in it. That's it. Oh, man, I caught lightning in a bottle. A few books <laughs> got out. All of a sudden, I'm getting calls from radio stations to interview, TV stations to interview, places want me to come speak, churches and, and uh, you know, uh, clubs and even a prisons. Uh, and up to, I just did my 45th speech this morning mm. I've, I've done eight people to 200 people um so and and i've never well i did some acting and stuff when i was school and i've given a few speeches for business but never like i'm doing never standing on a stage in front of people and burying my soul so to speak because mm-hmm. i'm very honest about what happened to me in my grief journey uh the first Three months after she died was terrible. World was black and white. Um, I, I was totally lost. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I, I was angry <clears throat> a, a lot. Uh, I kicked God out of my life. I said, "Get out of here! You, you didn't, you know, you didn't do what I asked you." And uh, so, I, I honestly wrote about that. I wrote about that in my book. That that, that experience. And what I found out is everybody goes through similar situation everybody's different but everybody's the same you know um i talked to a lady the other day and she came up after one of my talks and she put her arm around me and she said thank you thank you thank you and i said well you're welcome what i do you know and she said i've been in my gray period i said well how long she said 15 years i said oh my god she said serious she said but she said i understand listening to you she said you she said i think my world's going to be brighter tomorrow so, you know, what happened to me was, I call it my epiphany, okay? Mm-hmm, uh, sure. Now, you're going to get a picture here. I already mentioned it once, my glass of wine sitting on the desk. So you're going to, I'm not a wino, <laughs> but I'm going to sound like it to you, okay? Uh, my wife and I, if you could see my house here, it's a uh, very open concept. Uh, the kitchen, with the, we had a counter of a bar top uh, with bar type stools around it. So it's got the living rooms behind you on one side, the dining area on the other. And since we both cooked, we, we would share or we would take turns. So if it was my turn to cook, she would be sitting on the one side with a glass of wine. I'd be on the other cooking with my glass of wine. And at five o'clock to seven o'clock in the evening was our time. That's when we shared our day. And so anyway, so it's like I say, about three months after she died, it's a crummy day it was a cold november raining snow and sleeting and i'm sitting there i had my glass of wine while i was cooking dinner and had my glass of wine with dinner and had my glass of wine after dinner and Mm -hmm. looked at the bottle and there's about an inch and a half there and what the heck you know i poured that and i drank it now i've got frank sinatra on the stereo (laughs) okay and I'm really feeling sorry for myself. I am really, really down. And I remember, I think I was getting up to go change the record or something. And I got up and I caught my foot on the stool beside it and I fell. Now, I had a little too much wine. But I mean, what that wasn't, I mean, combination of the two, that's why. So I'm laying there on the floor. Proportionally, I fell towards the living room on the carpet. I'm laying there and thinking how stupid I was, you know. What the heck are you doing? My wife's favorite saying was, it is what it is. Put on your big boy pants and deal with it. Mm. So I'm laying there and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, that's what she would tell me right now. So I remember getting up and going to chair. I don't think in that first three months I'd really cried. But all of a sudden the tears came Mm -hmm. and I were pouring and I was wringing wet. I remember going to bed and thinking, oh, man. Tomorrow morning is going to be terrible. But I got up the next morning and there was color. And I had it. I knew what I was going to do. I was going to take grief on. I had to. You know, 
uh, you can't hide it. You can't keep it inside. You got to let it come out. There's a thing that a quotation that somebody said that the griever needs three things. They need to find the words to say the words and know the words been heard. So I'm there. That's the, I remember the morning uh, standing there saying, okay, I got to take grief on. Now, how do I do it? Well, someone had told me a long time ago that grief was like a ball in a box, mm-hmm. bounces around in the box. And when it touches a side, a memory comes back or a feeling, which you didn't want to happen is you didn't want the ball to hit the corner and have three things going on at once. Mm. Hard to handle. And I thought, no, 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 no. Grief is more like a balloon in a box. Because, you know, you got a balloon on a string and you move to the left and the balloon may go right. Mm-hmm. The balloon doesn't always go where you take the string. So that's that's kind of my little crutch. That, that string is on my finger. All my memories are in that balloon. So it goes with me. So I learned right then that day and the next few days as I thought about it and as I did things, I thought, I think one of the biggest fears when somebody loses, especially a spouse or a child or, or, or a real close loved one, you're afraid to move forward because you don't want to leave them behind. Well, once you learn that you can take them with you, and that's what I'm doing. She's right there in that balloon. All our memories are in that balloon and a lot of other memories, too. But I can move forward and those can go with me. So once I got that, then it was easier for me to handle my grief. Uh, I knew she was with me. I knew that I wasn't going to lose her. Uh, wasn't going to lose all those memories we had. Uh, so that started that started the whole thing with the balloon in the box. And then I I, I talked to people. I got stories um, about their grief uh, and their grief journey. I, the thing that I try to tell people is that grief is love. Without love, there is no grief. Mm-hmm. Sure. You don't grieve for somebody you didn't love. So. Grief is such an ugly word. I try to say, hey, grief is love. So let's talk about it as love. Let's mm-hmm. talk about your journey of grief as a journey of love. You're going along and you're remembering all those things, okay? Uh, you're remembering all the happy thoughts. I, I'm kind of on a grief committee at the church. And when we get a, a new person, they're always a little quiet, especially if they've lost a spouse. And I will always ask him to say, tell me about your first date. Mm. And you just smiled because you mm-hmm. think about that, yeah. and it's a yeah, right. Uh, and, and so uh, that's what I do to people, and uh, uh, those are the kind of things that I tell people. That's what you want to remember. You want to remember those things. Take those along. Uh, so that started it, and uh, golly, you know, like I say, I all of a sudden I'm here. I'm talking to eight people, two hundred people about grief and. I never thought I'd be like this. The other thing that other thing that was so important in my life, and I, I'm 82 years old. When she died, I was 78. Um, fortunately in good health. Um, that she was in hospice for three weeks, mm. not at home at the hospital. I was there 24-7. Well, basically, my kids would come and my granddaughter and they'd spill me and I'd come home, shower, you know, check the mail, eat something, go back. But I was there 24 hours a day. Now, when you spend 21 days and you can't read and you can't watch TV, all you do is think. Now, you, you think about thinking like that. You think about sitting around and doing nothing but thinking all day. 15 hours, 16, whatever. You begin to learn things about yourself, mm-hmm. about life, about everything. You start to hear things around you that you probably never hear, heard before. So your life will change. I'm telling a young man, your life will change. Mm-hmm. And my life changed. I'm not the same person I was. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm the same person I was. I am a better person today than I was four years ago because of that experience. I wasn't a bad person mm-hmm. before, but I'm, I'm much better now. I always was willing to help people. If you said I need your help, I'd help you. But I could walk by you and not see that you needed help. Now I see people's I see people's feelings. I feel I feel what they feel. Um and that's a good thing to happen to you. Uh so that's the lesson I learned in those three weeks. You know, yeah. 
she's laying in bed. I'm holding her. I can feel her pain. And I'm going, God, please, you know, take her. You know, well, Bishop Sheen said, uh, a quote that he said, sometimes God has to break someone's heart to get into it. Oh, he broke my heart in a million pieces. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, but he got into it. Uh, I'm, I was, I was a religious person before. I mean, I was born Catholic, raised Catholic, went to eight years of parochial school. You know, uh, I was okay. I was an okay Catholic. You know, I did, I did the things, you know, uh, I'm much better now. And I'm not, I'm not running, I'm not running around saying preach this and preach that and all that. No, I'm not that way. Everybody has to find their own spot. You know, mm -hmm. I've found mine. So I'm comfortable where I am. I'm comfortable with, with my religious beliefs. I'm comfortable with my journey. I've got to go on it. I can't, nobody can fix it. Nobody can change it. And it's not going to end. I've got to go on it. So I've accepted that and I'm on it. Um, so the whole experience has changed me. I would have never, I would have never gotten up in front of eight of 200 people and told them my story about falling on the floor. You know, I wouldn't have done that. I'd have hid that some way, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but all those things have changed for me. Now, so that's where I am. Um, I think that's incredible. That's an amazing story. And you, you did it in less than two hours. So good work. That's well, maybe a, I'm not, maybe impressive. I'm not done. Maybe I'm not done. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you've got a lot more to say. I, I will, I will say ahead. this though. I, I, I mean, I, there's something to be said about a real experience. And I think there's a lot of authors out there, regardless of what they're writing, that forget that readers from all situations, I mean, particular in this case about grief, but readers in general, they like to know that the stories that they're reading come from a real person and they come from real experiences, even if it's fiction, right? Learning right. more about the author, it opens up doors that you just don't get necessarily when you're reading like research articles or, right. you know, like you mentioned those PhD books, people who have step-by-step -step situations for overcoming grief or maybe being successful at X business or whatever. Right. It just feels cold. It feels empty. When you, when talking to you, I mean, you breathe life into the reality of the situation. You express it from a very real and raw perspective. Um, and, you know, people can see and hear from you that, you know, what you're talking about, right? I mean, it's your true experiences, which I, I think is amazing. Well, a couple of things happen when, when someone dies, uh, and you go to the funeral home for the visitation. Now, mm -hmm. if you're like me, you stand there in line, right? And you go, what the heck am I going to say when I get up there? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, oh, he was a nice guy when really, maybe he really wasn't. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but you have to say something. Uh, we had 450 some people that come through. Uh, and the things they said afterwards, you know, when I got ready to write the book, okay, all these things came back to me. Uh, people came up and said, oh, I understand. And I wanted to hit him and say, no, you don't understand. You know, uh, I thought I did before something, before it happened to me, but I can tell you, I don't understand. I, I, I cannot, I, I understand losing a spouse. I cannot in any way comprehend losing a child. Mm -hmm. I, it's beyond me, okay? So so those were the kind of things that, that I could say, going to show the people saying things, people said, you know, well, God needed her up there more than you needed her down here. No, I'm sorry. God's got a whole bunch of people. I just want a one. You know, <laughs> he's got an army already. Yeah, he's got them all. You know, I just want a one. Oh, you had her for 59 years. No, I wanted her for 69 years. Mm -hmm. um, so I always tell people, just go up and say, I love you. Mm -hmm. That's the best thing you can say. Give them, you don't even have to say anything. Just give them a hug. Then they know that you're there for them. You don't have mm -hmm. to tell them once you do that. So yeah, that's the kind of things that, you know, I experienced through this whole thing that I learned. But when you said fiction, so I write this book, Balloon in a Box. Now I think I'm an author. Now I didn't, <laughs> I did not pay attention in English class in college or high school. So, you know, I always tell everybody the biggest word in my book is Catholic because I spent eight years of parochial school and I did learn to spell Catholic in eight years. <laughs> so, Anyway, I get this book and everybody's telling me it's good and all that kind of stuff. Then I decide to try fiction. <laughs> so I did write a book. I wrote, I did, it was just released Monday. And That's it's, awesome. uh, 
And uh, and what you were saying though uh, is true. Uh, after it was, I hadn't really, I had not read the book probably in total until it came out. Uh-huh. I read chapters and proof chapters and that kind of stuff. Sat down and read my own book, and I'm going, my God, you put stuff in there about you that you mm. that you wouldn't realize is in there. Okay, yeah. uh, put I mean what I'm put what I put in that book in the characters is true. You know, it's not fiction. Those characters are all people that I know or me or things that I think, things that I felt. Uh, so that's kind of fun, too. Uh, uh, it, the book's called a, The Secret is in the Pasta. And it's called that because that's a murder that takes place in an Italian restaurant. Okay. And uh, and I kind of set it up so I can write another one. You know, the detective in there can he, he's he's got a whole bunch of them he can do. If I want to do them, if, if it's successful, I mean, uh, I, I probably will write one again anyhow, just for the heck of it. But uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's very my life. And I'm thinking of other books that I want to write. I want to write a book about love. Oh, cool. Because when you do the, when I was doing the research for Bloom in a Box and I said, grief is love, love is grief, then, you know, uh, I, I had to do a, a lot of thinking about love. So. Well, I, I, th- I think it's interesting that you said that you you thought you think you're a writer now that you wrote a book. So I mean, it's just funny to me because yeah. I didn't I didn't write a book on grief, but my journey into writing looked very similar to yours. It was kind of the situation of talking to someone about you know not even about writing a book necessarily, but they were like, I mean, have you ever tried writing something? I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> and they're like, well, just try it, and yeah. I haven't been able to stop. Um, I, yeah. I wrote my first sentence, my first chapter, and it's been five years now and I am just writing. It's just part of my life now. Um, even if it's not quote unquote successful, it's just, it's cathartic. It's a way to express yourself in story form. It's, it's a really engaging and fun experience, not any, only for myself, but for readers. But, you know, I think it's amazing. They were like, I mean, why not? Let's just write this murder mystery in this Italian restaurant because you can. And you did. Yeah. I think it's yeah. Great. Well, what, what, what's your book? What, tell me about your book. What's it about? Uh, so I've actually written five books. Um, so I, okay. I've published fantasy. So an epic fantasy series. Okay. Um, and then I have a standalone um, sci-fi dystopian type. Oh, of book. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All so right. that's yeah. great. It's all very, I call it nerdy stuff. I totally accept okay. the nerdy stuff. You know, okay. Lord of the Rings type book uh, okay. situation yeah, is, is when I write. But yeah, I love reading murder mysteries. I don't think that my mind could properly put in place a, you know, murder detective situation. Then again, I've never tried. <laughs> yeah, you, so, you could, you could. You could. If, if you could someday. create what you're creating, you could create that. Yeah, you could create that. Yeah, I think. I didn't think I could either. Uh, but the last thing I ever wrote oh, when I was in college, I was in theater and stuff like that. I did write a play one time, you know, so that's the closest okay. thing I can. That's the closest thing I came to being creative about something, you know. So I mean, but I'm, I'm like you. I part of the thing that was stopping me from writing in my whole life was that I didn't I wasn't great in English. Yeah, <laughs> like I didn't pay too much. My my English language Com- the, my command of the English language isn't great, uh, particularly in writing. So I didn't feel like I was eloquent enough to write. And anyway, yeah. you do it, and then it it's there. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I know I got the, uh, my first review back from from a critic that the, the publisher sent it to, and it was it was very nice. And that's one of the things they said. They said, you know, you were you were honest, and and I, we know your characters are honest characters. Or you, you made them feel real. You know, because you gave them uh, Tony's not Tony's the detective in this. His name's Tony Victor. Uh, cool. But he the, the guy said uh, you, you made him fallible. You, you made him have weaknesses. And, and so he was he's a real person. He's not Superman. You know, uh, he has his own problems. He's not perfect. Uh, uh, so that was the thing I did. I know. And again, because that's not I'm not perfect. And nobody I know is perfect. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Well, it's, oh, anyway. surprising, it's surprising when you realize that how much it can have an effect on your life. I mean, you know, coming back kind of to your grief story about the, you know, falling over and kind of having this realization about the the non-perfection, the, so this has got to happen, right? I mean, it's the realities of life, the realities of imperfection. And once you kind of accept that, it's like, all right, I mean, what am I scared of, right? Like, it's a gut 
Yeah, it's just like you block yourself. You are your own critic. You are you are the one blocking yourself so many times when you think it might be something else. You might be thinking it's some external source, but in reality, it's kind of all in here. Yeah. Are you gonna are you yeah. gonna sit here and pity yourself and wallow mm-hmm. around in this for the rest of your life and be miserable? You know. Yeah. You know, you can't do that. You can't do that. So no. uh, that's where that's where, where, it's not living, see, the, at least. Yeah. The, uh, the things that then things that happen. Uh, I, I tell the story. That uh, was uh, Thanksgiving Eve that first year. And my family, I just just my son and, and uh, granddaughter and her husband and daughter-in-law. They, they were going to come to my, they had the bigger place. They were going to come here. They said, Dad, you just make the turkey. We'll bring everything else. So again, I'm there with my little glass of wine up on the counter and I got that bird and I'm stuffing the bird with the fruit and everything and the herbs and everything. I put it, I get ready to tie the legs, pull the string. I need a finger so I can tie that knot tight. And I started laughing and crying because that was a Thanksgiving joke for years. She would put her finger there Mm. and she would say to me, who helped you tie your Eagle Scout knots? You know, and we both (laughs) laughed. Now, my wife was a brunette, brown eyes. And I think one time I said, oh, it was a cute little blonde. I think I got a dish right side of the head or something like that. <laughs> we we had that kind of relationship. Uh, we zinged each other all the time. Uh, and, and quite honestly, this is what the last thing my wife said to me. Holding my hand. She said, I love you, comma, I'll see you in church. She had to zing, She had to zing me one more time. She got the last one in and I'm, I'm mad at her. I'm mad at her for that. I'm mad at her because I have not, I have not been, I can't come back at her, you know? Uh, but, and a lady came up to me oh, a couple months ago and I, I do that in my speaking. I tell that story and, and I smile and I laugh. And this lady came up to him. She said, Mr. Rose, she said, I just can't believe you can take that tender, loving thing your wife said to you and make a joke out of it. I said, ma'am, understand. No, I'm not making. Yes, I guess I am. But that's she did it. (laughs) She said that was our life. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't be sad about what she said. I have to laugh at what what she said. Oh, okay. I think I understand. I said, yeah, please do. I said, I'm not being insensitive about it. You know, uh, I said, my wife. My wife would zing me again if I did somehow, you know. Uh, so it's just a, a whole new life now. I, I'm a, I used to, I played a lot of golf. I would play golf every day if I could back then. Now I play golf, but I don't have to play golf. You know? I don't watch TV that much anymore. Uh, I don't, You're not missing much. No, I know. I mean, there's so much, you know. Uh, I listen to music a lot. I, I write. Um, I take walks. Sometimes I just sit and listen to music and, you know, you know, just let everything drain out. Um, that's my life now. But uh, it sounds so, great. Yeah. You married? I, I am. I have six kids. Oh, six so, kids. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. We, we actually just had our, our 10 year anniversary last week. Okay. So okay. We're so, still young. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> got years. You understand love all over the top because 10 kids is love, okay? Yeah, well, we <laughs> or six kids is love. Six working kids, on, yeah, so working we're not on, 10 yet. <laughs> working on 10, okay. Uh, but that's that's real love, you know? I always tell everybody, uh, I remember I remember our first date, and then, uh, you know, I want to say it was love at first sight, but, you know, that's, that's something I can discuss in my book on love if that really happened. But uh, I remember thinking when we decided to get married, we're, we're married and everything. I'm thinking, this is love. This is the optimum. It can't get any better than this. I was wrong. You know, my son was born. That's that's it. That's up, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. My granddaughter was born. Oh, no. You know, that love keeps going. I, I can think, I can tell you that today I probably love her more than I did four or five years ago. Because you'll understand this. You, you continue to love and you're love with your wife grows okay but there's little interferences you leave your dirty clothes on the bathroom floor and she yells at you now you're not happy that she yelled at you and she's not happy with you so there's not a whole bunch of love right then okay now uh, joyce is not here to yell at me okay 
so my love just keeps continuing to grow for you know uh, whether yeah somebody I, this morning when the lady said uh, well would you think you would find somebody else i said oh. i said i'm happy where i am you know i'm content with my thing i said i won't say never i would never have someone else because uh, who knows i may walk out of the door here and it might slap me right side the face you know but mm-hmm. i don't think so not at 82 years old um, i've got some lady friends um my neighborhood i live in is i'm, I'm in we moved from the country into the city i'm in a villa on the golf course okay now there's 53 units and i think 42 of them are widows so <laughs> i got plenty of ladies to look after me you know um but uh, uh and i have you know I have a couple of good friend ladies but one of my we went to dinner friday night and it's it's fine to sit you know sit there and talk and have a conversation glass of wine a nice meal and do i entertain a lot that's the way i keep myself busy mm-hmm. i have people in for dinner in fact i'm going to have somebody in tomorrow night and sunday night uh, so that's the way I, you know, so now I'll be busy preparing tomorrow for dinner tomorrow night. So they keep me busy during the day. Um, uh, and Sunday, the same things and planning. And, and I like to invite people, different people and put them together and see what happens with the conversation. You know, <laughs> uh, So th- that's, that's kind of my entertainment now too. So well, and speak. that's amazing. And speaking, you said. Yeah. And speak. I love, I love sharing my story with people. It's kind of my ministry, my quest now. Mm-hmm. More places I can go, the more I want to go. Um, I've got a couple of national speaker bureaus now that have interviewed me that that can take me out of this regional, so to speak, where I am now. Uh, and there may be some, a couple national things, um, which would be great. I'd like to, I'd like to take a shot at it. You know, it's like, I guess it's like being a rookie quarterback and you want that, you want that one big chance <laughs> to uh-huh. play in the play in the big game, whether you're successful or not. You want that chance. Now, I would like to have that chance to go to that level and and you know speak to a thousand people on a big stage or whatever. So, I mean, you may be there before you know it. Well, I I, w- I would like to take could a- be tomorrow. <laughs> well, it could be. I don't have that much time now at eighty two, so I gotta. You know, my son always tells me, "Dad, you keep moving too fast." I said, "Son, I don't. How much time do I have? I'm eighty two <laughs> years old. Who knows? You know, I got to do it today. I can't. You know, I can't wait two weeks to do it. I got to do it now." So, well, and about, what a better way to spend your time. That's right. That's right. right. I mean, the time that you do have, it's a it's a great perspective to have. That's great. So, I mean, the one thing I will say that, you know, this this whole thing is very, it definitely brings a lot into perspective about everything you do, the relationships you have with your family members, the relationships you have outside of your family with God, with, you know, just the things you're working on. It definitely puts a lot of it in perspective, um, particularly hearing it from someone who has, has as much experience as you. So, I mean, my, so my mom had breast cancer. She's actually a survivor, um, coincidentally, and it was... I would I, I like to say it's divine intervention rather than dumb luck because yeah. she, my dad worked for a pharmaceutical company my whole life and uh, they were doing just random free screenings for women. Um, and she was, you know, she was in her, uh, I think she was early fifties. Um, and she was just like, I mean, why not? I actually think it was late forties. Like, why not? I'll just do this free screening. And they happened to catch this breast cancer so early. Like she wouldn't even had symptoms for a few more years. It's just random screening. And because of that, she was able to get radiation. She never had to go on chemotherapy. It was just this amazing, you know, blessing from God that we caught so early. And because of that, she, she fought it and she won. And so she since had cancer and other, it's kind of spread to various parts of her body, but she's won each time. And it's just a huge blessing. And we know, you know, will it change someday? Maybe, Um, but it's not worth worrying about. No, exactly. If if that makes sense. And so, you know, you got to live your life. Yeah. You got to live live your your life. life. Exactly. Uh, And it's all the plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're born and you die. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's true. It's, it's, it's some place you got a lot in the face. I, I, I don't think I, maybe I just told you, but I'm on the golf course on this side and on this side, this, the cemetery. Uh-huh. And the cemetery is a beautiful place to walk. We have beautiful trees. In fact, it's real pretty right now. I look out there and see all of the ball of trees are flowering. Uh, my wife is out. I mean, our stone is out there. And when I walk, I walk by it. Cool. And, my name's already on there with my birthday 
and I always take a quick glance like this to make sure the other date's not on there yet. <laughs> and and I know, I know every time I look at it, God's laughing, going, "Hey, Tom, I'm the only one that knows." You know, I do. I get a big chuckle every time I walk by because I got to look like this. You know, I, that day that I walk by there, I see that date on there. I know it's time. You know, it's that's over with. I'm laughing a little because my grandfather, he's passed away now. My my grandfather, his wife passed away. We don't even know why. Just fluke. They couldn't even determine. She just literally dropped dead one day. It was really okay. strange. Um, but with, it's it's a little bit funny, ironic that you mentioned that uh, he also got a really beautiful headstone for her with his name on it. But when they when they actually delivered the first one, they had picked a random future date for his death date and, and <laughs> etched it in. And we were all like, "What? what? <laughs> what How did they know?" That's great. That's a great it was like story. Some, it was like I got, two years. I got to remember that. I got to remember that for my book. So we we <laughs> laughed about it. He he's a good sport. He just laughed. He's like, "Well, I guess I only have two years left." That's <laughs> the, what they say, right? The stonemakers thought they knew when I was going to die. Anyway, they remade it, and he got it for free. There was no problem with that. But we still get a kick about. That that he got a headstone with his future death date on it. So, um, in any case, it's life. It's the funny things, right? It's it's looking at life from the perspective of happiness, joy, just recognizing it is the way it is, and trying to extrapolate happiness from it. I I have a chapter in in the book uh, about laughing. You can't. You're not. You you get into this coping with grief or whatever your your thing is. You cannot stop laughing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad always, that was one of the things my father always told me. He'd always say, son, keep laughing. No matter how bad it is, keep laughing. Uh, and so I have, uh, there, there was a book I read, I think it's by Matthew Kelly. It's called, I heard God laugh. And, uh, the whole thing in there is, uh, if God created us in his image and likeness, then he's got a sense of humor too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he laughs. And, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I at least I feel that way. I feel, you know, I, I'm sure. When, like I say, when I walk by the stone, look at, I'm sure he laughs at me. He goes, hey, yeah, you know. But I'm new again. I'm the only one that knows Tom. So just keep going. You know, yeah. keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. One time I'll let you know, and you can come up. You know. Uh, so uh, it, it, I I hope, like I say, when I talk to people, I hope when when I'm done that I can make things a little easier for them. I can't change it. I can't fix it. I can't do anything like that. If I can just make it, if I can make their journey a journey of love and make their road not have bumps and potholes in it so it's a smoother ride, they're going to take it and it's going to go on forever. I mean, I talked to a lady the other day, 25 years, and she said, I still have a little tear. Um, Talked to a gentleman today. He was 92, lost his wife uh, 12 years ago. And he said, yeah, he said, I, he said, but I'm, and he, he was a up guy, you know, he was, he was smiling when he came up. He said, I love your stories. He said, yeah, I got all, he said, let me tell me all his stories. I said, I'm going to write these down, you know, keep them for a book. Uh, so one of the other things that's, I'm an only child with my son and we're in business together. So we spend time business-wise together, but he's going with me for these speeches. He's, he's my driver. I okay. can still drive, but he, he says he's driving Mr. Daisy. Uh, <laughs> but for, so for 45 different trips here now, we've got to spend time together, just sit in the car and talk. Not about business, but talk about life and things that that I cherish. You know, as a father, spending that, that much time with my son now at 82 years old is, is great. So. I think that's awesome. Wow, that's, that's amazing. I, I love. I think we could probably talk for hours. Oh, we could. We could. All the stories you have. Uh, we are running a little short on time, and I always love sure. to ask for the listeners, for people who are watching this on YouTube, where can people find more information about your your books, um, and particularly the one that just released? Yeah. Well, they're on. I have a website. It's very simple. It's www.thomaslrose.com. Awesome. Everything's there. Find out about me, find out about the books, find out about the cookbooks, the whole thing's there. Give me a call. Folks, go on my website. The phone number's there. If you want to talk about grief or you want to talk about anything, quite honestly, but if you want to talk about grief, give me a call. I say, I've i got about I don't know, 20, 25, 30 people that call me, and we just talk. Wow. Oh, that's so cool. 
I mean, rather than watching TV, I would much rather talk to any of the gentleman the other night. Just, you know, we talked for about an hour and a half. I could have watched some stupid TV program, but he and I talked. I got a lot from him, and I think he got a lot from me. So, so yeah, www.thomaselrose.com. Everything's there. Perfect. And, and please, folks, I'm looking for places to speak. So it's my mission. I want to go. So if you got a church or an organization or I've got, like I say, I've gone to prisons, <laughs> programs. Give me a call. Oh, cool. Send me an email. I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there with my little books under my arm. <laughs> <laughs> what we do, what we do is we sell books. Uh, and for every book that we sell, we have put it together so we can have a book to give away for free. Okay. Like prisons, Salvation Armies, places like that, retirement communities where they can't. Well, like this morning, I thought we gave books away at the retirement community because people there can't, you know, they're they're lucky to be able to pay to have the services yeah. they're having there. So, so giving books away. So, so we try to do that too. So I'm not a rich man, but you're rich in, in life. I'll say yeah, that. Well, I am. I, am. I mean, that's I am. that's obvious by the way you talk and the way you present yourself. You are rich, just not necessarily in money, but that's not the important things anyway. Yeah. So, but I, well, thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. Now, best of luck to you and your family. I hope you found that as amazing as I did. I I had a very uplifting experience talking to Tom. I learned a lot from him, not even just about grief, but just about perspective, outlook on life, particularly authoring. You know, things can be challenging. Things aren't as expected a lot of the times. And hearing his perspective is, is just amazing. I was very happy and just I felt good after that conversation. So. Hopefully you did as well, and hopefully you learned something. So next week, we are talking to Braca Getz about her experience becoming a prolific children's book author. So Brock has published more than 40 children's book, many books, many of them children, or excuse me, traditionally published books, which we talk a little bit about the querying process, and we talk about, you know, various positives and negatives of her whole experience with publishing. So I think you'll really like that. Tune in for that next week. As usual, if you'd like to join me on the podcast, head over to dankender.com slash podcast, or you can always just message me on any of the social media applications. I'm relatively active on most of them, not posting, but visibility. I'll at least open them and see messages. So let me know. Um, once again, it's author Dan Kenner. You'll find me pretty much anywhere. Um, if you have questions, comments on the, <clears throat> excuse me, on the podcast, definitely leave comments or reviews. I'd love to make this a conversation. And yeah, if, if you have any questions for me, just let me know. So I look forward to talking to you next week. Mm-hmm.